Hi, thank you for listening to this message brought to you by First Baptist Church. Here at FBC, it's our mission to lead people into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ, and we hope that this message helps you continue to grow in your faith. This audio is property of First Baptist Church, but feel free to give away copies of this message in the hopes that others will be impacted by what they hear. For more information about FBC, or if you want to stay connected with us, visit our website at fbclloyd.ca or look us up on Facebook and Instagram. Thanks, and enjoy the latest from FBC. Good morning, everyone. Please be seated. Good to see you out, and good to know that some of you are online, not able to be seen, but there nonetheless, and so we appreciate everyone as you join us this morning. Uh, it's a, a busy morning. We've got a lot of ground to cover this morning, and it's communion today. So uh, for those of you, that are, especially that are, that are online, if you want to grab something for communion, by all means do that so that you'll be ready later in the service. And I'm just going to try and catch everybody up really, really quickly as to where we've been over the last few weeks. Um, over the last four weeks, we've been covering a topic that isn't our favorite topic, but one that we feel is important. We called it Know Your Foe. And it's all about Satan and his tactics and so on. So over the last uh, number of weeks, we've been talking about how Satan operates, uh, his objectives, his tactics, how he tries to snare us, how he tries to derail us, how he tries to overcome us. And that's important for us to understand because we need to understand that we have an adversary, someone that is trying to actually take us out, literally, any which way that he can. But... While that's important for us to understand, if we're not careful, if we begin to fixate on that, then that can have an adverse effect on us as well. We can begin to become kind of negative, or we can begin to despair about life. And so this morning, we want you to know that that is not a true or proper perspective. And so therefore, as we uh, come into this last week of of our series, there's something else that we want you to know about our foe. And that's the fact that our foe has been defeated. We need to understand that this morning. We can't continue to live in fear, even understanding his prowess, his ability, and so on and so forth. We need to understand that Satan has been defeated. Christ has triumphed over Satan. And therefore, through Christ, you and I have triumphed over him as well as we place our faith in Jesus Christ. For those of us that have trusted in Jesus as our Savior then, we do not have to look forward to a life of misery and trial and difficulty, but rather we have a life of confidence and hope ahead of us to live through Jesus. So before we begin, let's just take a moment and pray. And then we're going to dive into this and unpack this a little bit this morning. So if you'd bow your heads with me and pray with me. Father, this morning, again, we stop and we acknowledge you. Lord, we're thankful for who you are, thankful for the way that you have intervened in our lives in no small way, not the least of which is by overcoming Satan. And this morning, Lord, we know that we need your intervention. We know that we need your forgiveness as we continue to struggle in these areas. And even as we think about the, the, uh, the news that, and the discovery of that mass grave in BC and the way that we have perpetrated things in your name against people. We've asked for your forgiveness, Lord. We ask that you would come alongside us now, that you would give us 
uh, a different perspective. We pray that you would be with those that have suffered the loss and that you would uphold them, restore them. Uh, Lord, that you would bring to account what's been done. But as we think of this too, Lord, then we ask also that you would help us to do better, to live more for you as we go forward, that we would represent you better, that we would understand you more, and that we would be a better testimony to the world around us. And so to that end, I just commit this time this morning, and I pray for your blessing upon us, and I ask all of this in Christ's name, for his sake alone. Amen. All right. This morning we're going to look at Christ's victory in three different ways, three different areas, if, if you will. First of all, we're going to look at Christ's victory over Satan and his temptations. Secondly, we're going to look at Christ's victory over Satan's forces. And thirdly then, all this leads us up to the cross and how Christ overcomes and has victory completely at the cross. So if you would... Turn with me in your Bible, Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 to 11. We're going to start there with the account uh, of Jesus being tempted in the wilderness. Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 to 11. There it says, Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands, so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give to you, he said if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him, and the angels came and attended him. Now this morning, as we look at this passage of Scripture, first of all, I just want to make a point that We need to understand this was not the only time that Christ was tempted during his life. He was tempted throughout his life. You can remember at one point he even turned to Peter and said, get behind me, Satan, as Peter was being used by Satan to to tempt Jesus to reconsider his path to the cross, his death and crucifixion that was coming shortly. So this isn't the only time that Christ was tempted. Keep that in mind. However, as we look more specifically at this passage, and we're going to look at it somewhat specifically this morning, but we're not going to take the time to delve into it completely. There's a lot that we could unpack here, but I want to come up, move on to some other areas. But I, before we move on, I want to look at two things in particular. Two things in particular that we need to remember out of this passage. All right? So the first thing, the first thing 
um, that we need to understand here is that um, as, as this all occurred, as this began to unfold, the Holy Spirit was leading Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted. All right? So this is God-driven by his initiative, if you, if you will. So Christ's conflict here with Satan is coming not because Satan is pursuing Jesus at this point, but rather because Jesus is now pursuing Satan. God has ordained for this showdown between Jesus and Satan in the wilderness. And so Jesus follows God's will as this is about to happen. As we come to this temptation, then, we see that Satan tempts Christ in three specific ways. All right? First of all, he does so in respect to Christ's physical needs. So he tempts Jesus on that physical basis. Secondly, he tempts him in in terms of his desire for authority or power. And thirdly, he tempts Christ with respect to his pride or his penchant for autonomy from God, for him to deviate away from following the Father. Now, we know that these are the three areas, these are the three areas that sin comes from, that stems from. There's only three categories of sin, if you will. They all break down, they boil down into one of these three characteristics or one of these three areas. And we understand that because of 1 John verses, chapter 2, verse 12, or verse 16. My goodness. It's like I didn't know what I was doing. Which is, fair enough. 1 John 2, 16. There it says this. Uh, John writes this. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, comes not from the Father, but from the world. So as we look at Satan's temptations, as we look at the nature of sin, it boils down into those Three categories, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the, the, the eyes, or the pride of life. And we see that here as we go back and look at this in a little bit more detail. Verse 3, Satan comes to Jesus and says, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Now, the temptation here is for Christ to put his physical desires above God's expressed plan and purpose. Earlier we saw that God had led Jesus into the wilderness where he was going to be tempted by Christ. He had him fast for 40 days, 40 nights. And so as he's now hungry, as he's reached the end of this period of fasting, and as he's hungry, I don't know about you, I've never fasted for that long in my life. I've made it about 48 hours. That's about as far as I've ever gone. But 40 days and 40 nights. As he's reached that point and he's hungry, then Satan begins his temptation with a temptation based on the lust of the flesh. That rather than continuing to follow God's plan, 
his expressed purpose, that then Jesus would circumvent that, turn the stones into bread so that he could be fed. Jesus responds to him in verse 4. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. The quotation here, this is Jesus reciting back to Satan's scripture. It's a quotation from Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3. And in short, Jesus responds by saying that his physical needs are secondary to God's will, to the will of his Father. They're less important. The urges of his body are secondary to God's plan first. And what's more, he points out here, demonstrates to us what he also was telling uh, to the disciples at that time when he was talking to the woman at the well, that he's sustained not just by bread, but by the word of God, that he's sustained by God. So having failed in this first respect, then Satan draws, goes back to the drawing board, comes back at him in a second attempt. Verses 5 to 6. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. It's about 180 feet, I'm told. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written. And now, interestingly, Satan starts to cite scripture. He's going to quote some scripture himself. This is out of Psalm 91, verses 11 and 12. He says, He will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift up you in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. He says, you don't have to worry. God will look after you. You can jump off of the highest point of the temple here. Now, the temptation in this is to have God make, or have Jesus make God respond to him. That he's going to just sort of hijack the agenda, if you will, and jump off the top of the temple and make God then react to Jesus and what his plan is. It's an appeal to pride. It's an appeal to our self-importance where Jesus can actually do something and demand, if you will, by doing it, that then God react to him. You're important enough. Look at Satan says. It's even in scripture. He'll command his angels to look after you because you're that good. You're all that in a bag of chips. Nothing's going to happen. But Christ responds in verse 7. Jesus answered him, It is also written, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Now that's a quote from Deuteronomy 6.16. If you ever want to do an interesting study, go back and look at Christ's temptation in the wilderness compared to the temptations of the children of Israel in the wilderness and the parallels there. It's fascinating to just see how back as the children, were in, the children of Israel were in the, out in the wilderness that they were tempted and failed. But as God led his son into the wilderness that he was tempted and didn't fail in one respect. Fascinating study. So having failed now on two 
attempts, then Satan therefore makes his third attempt in verses 8 and 9. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain. Figuratively speaking, we would understand. And showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. And again, by the, including and their splendor, he's underlining that he wants him to see all the goodness of everything that there is to be had in, on earth and in life. So he tries to demonstrate that in his best and in his most attractive a means as possible. All this I will give to you, Satan said, if you will bow down and worship me. Now, this last temptation is the last of the three. It's the lust of the eyes, which is to say the opportunity, quote-unquote, for us to see something and try and gain it for ourselves, to somehow then boost ourselves, move ourselves forward or up in position and prominence. The idea that we can pursue our own desires and our own interests and that somehow then that that will pay us dividends greater than what God would ever be able to do for us. But in so doing then, to draw us in to abandoning God and embracing evil. One last time, Jesus responds to Satan in verse 10. And Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Only him. That's from Deuteronomy 6, verse 13. Now, as we see Jesus being tempted by Satan, and we see that interaction, be mindful of this fact. There's a couple of things that we need to note here. Two in, two in particular. The first thing is that Jesus uses Scripture to overcome Satan every time. Okay? And we've talked about this throughout this series. Bruce mentioned it again last week. If you didn't hear his message, make sure you go back and check it out. As Satan comes to us and tempts us, Christ's response is from the Word of God. He goes back to the Word of the Father, which is to say he responds to Satan's lies with truth. This morning we need to understand that this is the truth. That God has given us the truth. And that every time, like we've talked about before, every time that Satan comes to us and tries to sell us something, it's a lie. It's a lie, it's a lie, it's a lie, it's a lie. He tries to wrap it up in a pretty present, nice bow and sell it to us, getting us to try and adopt it, getting us to, to try and appropriate it, thinking that it's going to be better. But in the end, it is always worse Mark this word. Don't mark my words. Mark this word. As we seek to overcome Satan in our lives, we do so on the strength of this, on the strength of God's word. 
2 Timothy 3, verses 16 and 17 says this, All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God, that's you and me, may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Some of you will remember Mr. Cox at prayer meeting, and he used to recite this verse invariably at prayer meeting. I can remember that as a kid. And as I've grown older, I understand more and more why. We stand on the word of God, and when we don't stand on the word of God, we fall. We need to always remember it. Don't ever forget it. In defeating Satan's temptation, we also then need to understand from this interaction between Christ and Satan this morning that Satan has no indictment against Christ today. All right? Second thing we need to note. In withstanding, overcoming, being victorious over Satan's temptation, then Satan has no indictment against Jesus Christ today. Now, it's not the same for you and I. We've succumbed to Satan's temptations over and over in our lives. We continue to do so. But Christ didn't. So as a result of that, then now Satan has no basis on which to go back to God and say, you need to punish them. These people are now deserving of, or this person, Jesus is deserving of punishment. There's no basis. There's no violation. So Christ stands perfect before God today and unindictable by Satan. And again, we just talked about this in Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. So Christ stands today innocent before the Father. And that makes all the difference, and we're going to see that in a few minutes. Before we do that, though, let's quickly look at Christ's victory over the demonic realm. So we've seen here Christ now overcome Satan on the basis of his temptations. Now we're going to see Christ overcome Satan on the basis of his forces, if you will. Now, there are way too many examples of this throughout the Gospels. Um, So we see it over and over, but I've picked out two that I think are significant. And we'll look at them quickly. First one is in Mark 5, chapter 6, or Mark 5, uh, verses 6 to 13. There it says this. When he saw, okay, this is as Jesus comes uh, across over into a new district. Um, and, and he's met there by a man that's been living in the tombs. He's been demon-possessed, and he's, he's, he's uncontrollable. Um, uh, they, can't, they can't bind him. He's just running rampant on his own because he's so possessed by, by demonic activity. 
So when Jesus saw from it, yeah, when Jesus saw from a distance, or sorry, when he saw Jesus from a distance, this man ran and fell on his knees in front of him. He shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? In God's name, don't torture me. For Jesus had said to him, Come out of this man, you impure spirit. Then Jesus asked him, What is your name? My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of that area. A large herd of pigs was feeding on the nearby hillside. The demons begged Jesus, send, uh, begged Jesus, send us among the pigs. Allow us to go into them. He gave them and the impure spirits came out and went into, uh, it went into the pigs. He gave them permission, gave his permission. And the impure spirits came out and went into the pigs. In this example, a couple things just really quickly to note. Number one, the demonic activity was legion. There was enough demons in this poor man to possess thousands of hogs. So in this interaction, we see a couple of things. First of all, number one, they recognized who Jesus was. They understood who they were dealing with. And in understanding who they were dealing with, then they understood where they fit into the equation, which is to say that they were subject to the Son of the Most High God. Didn't matter that they outnumbered him. Didn't matter how much control and how much power they had over this poor man that they possessed. In the face of Jesus, they were defeated. They recognized it. And as Jesus made the command then, they came out. And as he gave them permission, then they went in to the swine. Takes us to a second encounter in Mark, again, chapter 1, verses 24 and 25. There again, Jesus comes to this man. What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, Jesus said sternly to the demon. Come out of him. The impure spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. So once again, as Jesus comes to this poor guy, held captive by the demons, by Satan's forces. Number one again, we see that they recognized who Christ was. Interestingly, their first question then is, have you come to destroy us? Because they recognize that that's their fate. And lastly, once again, we see them respond and obey Christ. Just really quickly this morning, 
There is no doubt today of Jesus' victory over Satan's forces. Stand assured that Satan's minions cannot stand up against Christ today. They recognize who he is and obey his every command because he is victorious over them. So this morning, now we've seen Christ's victory over Satan's temptations. We've seen Christ's victory over Satan's subordinates. And now, we need to look at Christ's victory over Satan himself, which brings us to the cross. Hebrews 2, verses 14 and 15 say this, Since the children have flesh and blood, that is to say, since you and I are human, made of flesh and blood, He too, Jesus, shared in their humanity so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is, the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. Remember that as we talk about death, as the apostles, the writers of the New Testament talked about Christ's death, they were always, always also referring to his resurrection. So as he says here, that in his death, that he broke the power of him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, that's through Christ's death and resurrection we understand that the power of death has been defeated by Christ. And therefore then, we've been made free. Colossians goes on to expand on this. In Colossians chapter 2, verses 10 to 15, there it says this, For in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form, which is to say in Jesus, again, is the full demonstration of God the Father. That he is the full meal deal. That he is the perfect reflection, just as we read at the beginning of Hebrews, that he is the perfect reflection of God himself. And in Christ, you have been brought to fullness. You, FBC Church family and friends, those of you that have placed your faith in Jesus Christ, in Christ, you too have been brought to fullness. He is the head over every power and authority. That is Christ again. Jesus is the head over every power and authority. In him, you were also circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands. Your whole self, ruled by the flesh, was put off when you were circumcised by Christ. Having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness. Remember, now we have those indictments made against us before God by Satan because of our sin. We do not stand perfect before Christ. We do not stand innocent before Christ in and of ourselves. Because we have committed sin against God. And Satan has a legitimate um, uh, accusation, charge against us. Which requires of God our death. Because the consequence of sin is death. 
Christ stands innocently in front of God because he did not succumb to Satan's temptation, to the sin. And therefore, through Christ, then we have made, been made full and our sins are now forgiven as our indebtedness, our indictments have been nailed to the cross and paid for by Jesus Christ. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross, and having disarmed, and listen to this now, and having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumph, triumphing, over them by the cross. Here and again, powers and authorities is an, a reference to Satan and his forces. Satan himself and his forces. He not only triumphed over them, he made them a public spectacle through his death and resurrection. This morning, church family, Friends, at the cross, we find two things. First of all, we find that our sins have been forgiven. Our sins are forgiven as we place our faith in Christ. We've been made right by God through Christ and what he has accomplished through his death and resurrection. Secondly, at the cross, we know and understand that Satan has been defeated. Christ won the battle over Satan and his temptation. Christ won the battle over Satan's forces. And at the cross, we see that Christ won the war over Satan himself. Satan at one point decided that he wanted to be God that he looked from his heavenly place in the heavenly realms in the presence of God and said, I want to be him. I can be him. And at that point, he was then subjected, he was cast out to earth where he assumed then this position as king of the world and tried to usurp God's power from that point forward, exercising that in, in, in order to make this his kingdom, to make it all about him and try a different assault against Christ, against God. But now, at the cross, Christ comes along and recaptures, uh, casts out the usurper. It completely defeats him now. He has nothing left because he's been defeated by Christ through his perfect life, through his death, and through his resurrection. Satan has no more power over Christ, over God. There's no other argument. There's no other war. There's no more battles to be won He's lost. And all that's coming, all that's left is his demise. This morning, we need to understand that as we come to the cross, that we celebrate communion and remember not just some sort of a religious tradition, not just some sort of little ceremony, 
But as we come to the cross and as we come to communion, and as we remember Christ, then we remember that our sins have been forgiven and Satan has been defeated, and therefore then we have life to look forward to with Christ in the fullness of God as we live for him and place our trust in him. Sin is defeated. Death is defeated. Satan is defeated. And we are saved at the cross. Don't miss, don't miss the significance of the cross this morning. Don't miss the significance of communion when we come and remember what this is all about. Because it changes everything. Everything. This morning, you don't have to be a member of First Baptist Church to take part in communion. You don't have to uh, be from Lloyd Minster. You don't have to be attending here regularly. The only requirements that we have to partake in communion today are, are really quite simple. First of all, you need to be a believer in Jesus Christ. You have to come to that point in your life where you've committed your life to Christ, where you recognize who he is and what he has done for us and placed your faith in him, that you're trusting in him for your salvation. Secondly, you need to be in good standing with your brothers and sisters in Christ. If there's something that you hold against someone, then get that sorted out before you take communion. That's our, our commandments. That's, those are our instructions from God in Scripture. If you're good on both those levels, then this morning I would invite you to take out these little nifty cups and open them up. The first level, if you can get into it, gives you the wafer, which is reminiscent, excuse me, of Christ's body broken for us. This do in remembrance of him. representative of Christ's blood shed for us, his death. Scripture tells us that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. Someone had to die to pay for sin. This do in remembrance of Jesus. Let's pray. Father, this morning, as we come to the cross, Lord, again, help us to understand the significance of what you brought about there, that in your sovereignty, from the outset of time, knowing all that would happen with Satan, with ourselves, as your people, as people, that you deemed it appropriate to resolve these issues at the cross by way of your son. So we stop and we say thank you for Christ this morning. Thank you for his body broken for us. Thank you that because of his perfect life, he offered himself in our place to pay the penalty of the sin that we had committed, the penalty that we deserved, but that he took on himself in our place. 
for his blood shed so that we could have forgiveness. So we stop and we say thank you and we remember, Lord. All in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Now this morning, just before we end, because Christ's victory came at the cross over sin, over Satan, over death. But that's not the end. That's not the end. And I want to go back to where we started a little bit at the beginning of this series. 1 Peter 5, verse 8 says, Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Satan is out there. Satan is after us. And he will continue to do so. But remember, Christ has the victory. And therefore, then we go on to verse 9. There, Peter says, resist him, standing firm in the faith. Satan roams about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he will devour, who he can devour. But Peter tells us today to resist him. And that's echoed also by James in James chapter 4, verse 7. There he says, submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. This morning, we don't live defeated lives. We're not in a negative position as followers of Jesus Christ. Christ has the victory. We have the victory through him. So now our job is to go out and resist Satan. The idea here is not to just cover and and duck to try and protect ourselves, but rather to stand against, to actively uh, give opposition, actively oppose. So that's what we're called to now. Having had the victory through Christ, now we're called to active opposition against Satan and his forces, against his lies in our lives and the world around us, the lives of the world, of our friends and neighbors, family that are so dominating them now. We're called now to stand against Satan. Do not cower. Do not quiver. Do not quake. But stand and resist, actively oppose Satan, for he's defeated, Christ has won. Amen? Amen. Worship team's going to close us in a song.